Hello, welcome to the Sharp Angles podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here as always by Rich Rebar and TA, the team over here at Sharp Football Analysis. And uh, guys, been a while since we talked and well, a lot has happened. Uh, free agency, we're basically just, we're only a, a week in, but it's it basically already over. So we're just going to kind of recap uh, some free agency moves, uh, some of the big picture things we like, some of the individual moves we, uh, we liked and didn't like. So uh, before we dive in, how are you guys doing? Good, man. If you, if you want a 30-minute podcast on all of the ancillary moves the Texans have made this offseason, uh, this is not going to be the podcast for that. Oh, I thought this was exclusively <laughs> going to be that podcast. Complete garbage. I mean, that, here's the funny thing. We could start there because... <laughs> oh, we're actually doing this. All right. You know, real quick, just, just like a minute, because I think the idea is two things. One, you know, Nick Casario, I, I know him pretty well. Um, local, local guy actually was a right, went to my rival high school, but humble brag. Uh, no, but, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know him that well. Cause I would love to ask him exactly what he's doing, but um, you know, he obviously came from new England and their kind of old mantra was don't spend uh, you know, big money on these big free agents, which they obviously changed this year, but um, you know, it was kind of like build depth, right? Like you, that, that's how you kind of build in free agency. Just get a bunch of guys like a Mike Vrabel and um, all these other guys that, that, you know, are more kind of fringe starters and make that like your, your free agency um, kind of strategy. Um, so I understand that's probably part of it, but he's got a bunch of bad players. I mean, I think what he, what he's also thinking is, you know, the cap's going to go up next year. We're not going to be good anyway this year. So let's just spend, let's just, you know, get a bunch of, you know, 20 guys on one year contracts Major League and, then ne- and then next year we'll, uh, we'll have a bunch of money to, to really spend. And, you know, if one or two of these guys hit, then we got something, but I mean, the guys that they've got are just horrible. Like there's, I don't know if there's really, I mean, if you're, you're getting Philip Lindsay. Why? I mean, why? I mean, I like him, but like another running back you're, I mean, some of these guys that they picked up are just crap. I mean, Dante Moncrief, like just weird, weird, um, kind of a uh, um, uh, kind of weird strategy from that perspective. So uh, that's my guess is what they're doing, but it's just, it's just a bunch of garbage. And obviously now, you know, not to go into detail, but we know the, the off the field stuff with Deshaun Watson. So not even sure they could trade them at this point, even if they wanted to. So just, uh, I would look for Houston to kind of open up as maybe the, uh, uh, have the lowest win total on the board when win totals come out after the, uh, after free agency in the draft. So um, yeah, but that, it's, it's just a horrible list. You kind of look at it and you're just like, what, who are these guys? Yeah. Houston kind of went from a team that completely ignored the back half of the roster to a team that has now only worked on the back half of the roster. So that's kind of what their free agency, uh, role is. So, but let's talk about, uh, other teams that, you know, actually are going to matter, uh, moves that matter more. Um, let's dive into, I think kind of, if you, if we're going to talk about free agency, you kind of have to start where pretty much everyone has basically where free agency started, uh, was with the new England Patriots. Um, so we have, you know, we've seen all, all of the, the opinions on their deals, the, the big deals with, you know, Hunter Henry uh, and Johnny Smith. Um, and they came in with the, the wide receivers for, you know, Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne. Uh, a lot of stuff in on defense, Matt Judon, uh, Jalen Mills, uh, stuff like that. So what are we taking away from, uh, from what New England has done with a, a lot of the spending early on in pre-agency? 
I think the most obvious thing, though, is that, like, Bill Belichick at being, what, 68 years old, he's got no interest in rebuild. Like, he's not – Bill Belichick's not going to rebuild. He's not going to be around for uh, a situation where they're going to try to groundwork up this thing. Now, the question I still have with New England and what they've done is did they now just place themselves in kind of a purgatory because, you know – bringing Cam Newton back, uh, you know, signing Hunter Henry, Johnny Smith, Matt Judon. I mean, this is not a bottom five team. And it's so you're not going to get in your draft pick stance of be picking probably in the top 10, but you also probably be, aren't going to compete probably for a Super Bowl or an AFC title either. So now how does, how do we get out of this situation? How do we get a quarterback uh, is, are they going to luck into a guy at 15 this year? I think that's a question mark. Uh, you know, I think Washington's in a similar boat and we can maybe touch on them too. How do these teams solve this problem uh, at quarterback and I don't know if the Patriots have an out now outside of just hoping a quarterback falls to 15 uh, unless they've got a trade up or something in the works because now they've got a team that I believe is probably in like the seven to ten win range you know if all things go well probably not a Super Bowl contender uh, even if they make the playoffs um, so I mean I, I'm really interested to see how these two teams particularly get themselves out of this middle ground of where they're at right now. You know, it's funny you say, uh, you know, they're not really a Super Bowl contender. I, I, I tend to agree uh, essentially where they are right now with Cam Newton. But, you know, the market, um, I'm going to have an article up um, hopefully in the next few days um, in terms of, you know, odd changes, odds changes since um, the beginning of free agency. And the, by far the biggest change to the positive was New England. Uh, mm-hmm. They went from 40 to 1 to 28 to 1 if you look at DraftKings. Um, which I'm not sure I agree with that big of a move. I mean, first of all, you knew they had the most money that you knew they were going to spend it. So if you really liked them, you probably could have just taken them at 40 to one because you knew they're going to spend money. And it's not like they really, I, I got to be honest, I hated what they did. Um, not again, I don't mind them spending the money just because of the roster was so depleted. And I, lo- I mean, I like both John U. Smith and Hunter Henry, but did you really need both top of the market tight ends? I mean, I don't think you needed two of them. I mean, I would have been fine with one and then, you know, get a little cheaper. You could even go Jared Cook or if you want, or so, you know, a veteran as your second tight end, if you really, really wanted to. Um, I hated the Nelson Aguilar, just the, just the fact that they panicked and got Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne right off the bat. Like you didn't need to, to, to overspend on those guys. Um, You know, Aguilar had a nice year last year, but we know he's inconsistent and um, he's not a guy you rely on as your number one outside guy. I mean, you could have, waited and gotten Will Fuller at, you know, at the same deal, essentially for one year. Um, you know, you could have gotten Marvin Jones for, you know, just a little bit more than Kendrick Bourne. Um, you know, you could have only signed one of those tight ends and then used that extra money to, to go after, you know, a Corey Davis or a Kenny Galladay. You know, you could have done other things um, except, you know, instead they panicked in 24 hours and had to spend all that money right away. Um, so I didn't like that. I mean, their offensive line looks actually looks really good. Um, they made a couple of good moves there. So I'll give them credit there. Um, you know, defensively, they added, you know, Judon and, and a couple of pieces. So I think that, you know, again, not knowing what's going to happen at quarterback after Cam Newton, you know, right now they're probably like a eight to nine win team, like you said. Um, but I, I'm not sure I'm ready to anoint them as Super Bowl contenders. And I don't agree with this market move to 28 to one. I just, I mean, the Browns are 25 to one. I think the Browns are way better right now. Um, and even the chargers are, are 33 to one. So, um, I, I just don't agree with that, um, kind of, uh, that move for them. And I just think they could have done a little bit better and kind of just waiting. You could have got John Brown for 3 million bucks. I mean, there's just so many Isaiah McKenzie signed for 1.1 million. I mean, it's just crazy. Some of the, the, especially a wide receiver, Rashad Perryman, two and a half million, like these guys aren't great, but 
know, neither is Kendrick Bourne. Like I didn't need to get Kendrick Bourne. Yeah. I don't know what the, what the panic was there. So that, uh, to be honest, like from the wide receiver and tight end perspective, I didn't like what they did overall. That's what happens when you throw 12 touchdown passes in a, in a season. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think the, the one thing we can say is they, they misread the wide receiver market. And I, I think they, they went big on tight end. They knew they wanted to get those guys in. They want to run, you know, more 12 personnel. That's going to work more for a play action, heavy pass offense. It's going to work more for some of the QB power run game that they're going to do with, with Cam Newton back there. But they obviously needed to upgrade at wide receiver. And I think just objectively, they just misread the market. They thought it was going to be uh, – they thought it was is going to be more competitive than it did. And, you know, even a, a day after the Nelson Aguilar signing, uh, there were guys, you know, similar to his skill set or slightly better who were signing for less. So I, I think when you look at their, you know, overall plan of what they wanted to accomplish, I think that's fine. And this was an off season where, you know, a couple years ago, we were, we would be talking about how, you know, the cap space wasn't really, uh, an advantage because everyone had cap space and that, but that really wasn't the case this year. I think there are a lot of teams around the league that have gotten creative. Uh, the void years are going kind of out of control with how teams are, are working some of these contracts onto the cap this year, but cap space was basically a market inefficiency this year. It's some teams that had it were able to spend. We saw that with the Patriots and I saw that with the Jets a little bit who only, you know, did a couple free agent signings, but those were the top in the market uh, type of guys. So Look at the Patriots. I, I don't really hate their overall plan. If you want to you know, spend on the tight ends, fine. At least those were top of the market uh, guys. But yeah, the, the wide receiver thing, I, I like Kendrick Bourne a lot. I, I don't even hate that contract that they got. It was a couple of years, only like about $6 million a year. And he does a lot of you know really good small things. And they just didn't have that type of guy on the roster. Uh, he can be moved around uh, a lot. He's really good in the red zone. He can be schemed open on, on third downs. And when, when Kyle Shanahan is a guy who's scheming open red zone and third down looks for for a guy that's something that I pay attention to um, and Kendrick Bourne was that guy in the San Francisco offense so I think that can translate but yeah the, the Aguilar deal just is objectively bad um, you know, with how much uh, they paid for him but when you put everything together I, I think it's you know it's definitely a better offense it makes it look more like what they want it uh, to look like so it, it's a thing where the, the overall plan was good some of the details uh, within the plan you can definitely you know quibble with but uh, I'm not it's so I'm not, I'm like, you know, I've been grading all of these moves. I think a lot of their moves, I just kind of gave like a C plus, like I could see where they're coming from. The individual moves themselves didn't really blow me away, but this is definitely a a much better team than they were last year. And I think that's what's going to matter here also. Yeah. I'm Uh, just curious about the, the transition, the, 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 the Cam Newton, if Cam Newton is the lock and starter this year and how do they, bridge this gap like or can they get a guy to bridge this gap it seems like they're just really gonna kind of be stuck in this kind of no man's land spot for the remainder of while Bill Belichick's there um because I don't think he like I said he has any intention of you know scorching earth this thing yeah it just kind of feels like it's they're gonna get to that problem when it comes and the edge kitchen kind of seems like that's where they are right now and you know we kind of talked about it the last time we were on i Cam Newton was not as bad as some of his numbers last year was. He was a really good deep thrower, but didn't throw deep a lot because of, um, you know, the skill position players. That just wasn't a part of the offense that was available to them. Um, He wasn't the greatest, you know, quick game guy, but I think when you have now Hunter Henry, Johnny Smith, Kendrick Bourne, you have 
guys now that are going to be able to come in and move that quick game um, and get some of those shorter passes. Those guys are going to be open way more than what, uh, what the Patriots had last year. So that's definitely going to help in where there was a big weakness. And I think he's the offensive line is going to probably be better. I know no more a Joe Thune, but um, you know, there's still the uh, ability for that quarterback run uh, that's really going to set up well. So I think that's uh, possibly what's going to be And you know, Cam Newton isn't, super old you know he's younger he's than same Ryan. Age as Russell Wilson right same as Russell Wilson uh he's younger <laughs> than Matthew Stafford uh younger than Brian Tannehill who we're just talking about having like some career resurgence although with what Tennessee has done I'm not totally sure how long that's gonna last um but you know it, Cam Newton isn't like super old. he's not Ryan Fitzpatrick like this isn't I think like Cam Newton has kind of been talked about like he is like a Ryan Fitzpatrick type. And, and I don't think that's the case, especially if they work out some of that, that quick game um, and, and the shorter passes that they can. And, and that's the type of talent that they brought in. And I think that's going to help. Um, so as we move along, I think we also have to talk about the other team that took a whole bunch of big swings and it took a bunch of big swings much later uh, in free agency. And that was the New York Giants um, coming away with big deals for Leonard Williams, um, you know, big deal for Kenny Galladay, a big deal for Dory Jackson. Um, so it, to me, this just kind of feels like the Giants had the offseason that like the Bears probably should have had uh, with like a, a GM who knows that if these moves don't work, he's not going to be the one that has to do the the repercussions of them because he's just, he's not going to be there. Um, so I think you can, you know, bid against yourself on Kenny Galladay. You can bid against yourself on Adoree Jackson. Uh, you can bid against yourself with the second franchise tag on Leonard Williams uh, because of those moves don't work in 2021 uh, 2022 is not going to be Dave Gettleman's problem. Um, so I think that's kind of where the giants are right now. And, and, you know, Gettleman's always been this kind of guy who can, you know, um, can identify talent. He brings in good players, but the, the process in which those players have been brought in uh, has, has not been great. Um, and, and the value has not been there. And that's kind of been a huge disconnect um, with a lot of the moves he has made so far uh, in his tenure. So, um, you know, guys like, you know, Kenny Galladay is, it's really good. Um, I'm going to be more excited to see what he looks like in 2022 with uh, a new offensive coordinator um, <laughs> than and not Jason Garrett. But uh, so I, I tweeted this when it happened. You look at, you know, Kenny Galladay, I, I, he, he can, you know, separate. He's not, you know, he's not Kelvin Benjamin, right? But he does have a lot of contested catches just of, of how, just kind of how he runs his route. So, I mean, with Daniel Jones, who's, you know, an accurate deep thrower, but will test those tight windows. Um, and he doesn't necessarily have the arm to test those tight windows and come out on top a lot. So, I mean, it's going to be a lot of spectacular catches. It's going to be a lot of just awful decisions. So it's like, it's a top five, just exciting connection. It, when Daniel Jones, uh, as soon as he released is the ball deep to Kenny Galladay. Uh, the the spectrum of outcomes is you know, just it, it crosses the full spectrum. So I, I'm super excited to see that because it's just going to be uh, completely entertaining uh, one way or the you other. Back. You're back on board. I, I am not, but uh, the just seeing the ball release and, and having no idea, like it's kind of like the Patrick Mahomes Tyree Kill thing, right? Like you see him running downfield, you see the ball go up. It's like, oh, this is going to be fun. And with Daniel Jones and, and Kenny Galladay, it's going to be that. It's either going to be an amazing uh, contested catch uh, or it's going to be a terribly thrown ball that easily gets intercepted uh, in, a, in a contested area. So uh, 
I mean, just that, I mean, what more can you ask for on, on a deep ball? I think that's, that's what we're going to see a lot of uh, in the Giants offense this year. What I didn't like from them is, uh, I mean, they definitely overpaid, um, is you're essentially, I mean, they, they sacrificed their offensive line, you know, and, and getting rid of, you know, Kevin Zeitler was a really solid, a solid veteran lineman um, and didn't really add anything, right, um, in order to do some of this. I mean, they over, Dory Jackson, I really like, but I mean, the fact that a Tennessee Titans team, which couldn't uh, defend anybody in the secondary, lets him go. Um, and then he gets 26 and a half million guaranteed as the second most in free agency. I mean, that's, that's where you, you get into trouble is when a team um, decides to let someone go in their mid twenties um, and then, you know, for at a position need, and then, you know, someone else picks them up and, and overpays. I think, so that was an overpay. You didn't need to do that. You could have gotten, you know, some solid number two corners uh, opposite Bradbury for, you know, half or third of that price. Um, and so I definitely think they overpaid there. I mean, I like holiday a lot. Um, 18 million a year, um, is a lot, but you know, as you mentioned, you know, th- they did need somebody on the outside. I just, if you don't have, like you've already talked about if, if he doesn't have protection, if Daniel Jones is not protected, it doesn't really matter. Um, so, you know, sacrificing some of your, your offensive line needs and issues in order to do some of these things is really where I have the trouble with, with the giants. And then, you know, Kyle Rudolph, like why? I mean, Kyle Rudolph, uh, when you already have Evan Ingram and you're already underutilizing him, it's just, you know, and then you add in Jason Garrett's offense, uh, you know, just blah for me, for the Giants. Yeah, I mean, the thing with the offensive line is at least Daniel Jones has great pocket poise um, and is always aware of where rushers are coming. Um, and that has never been a problem uh, for him. So, yeah, that's that's definitely, you know, the big issue is they definitely took a hit along the offensive line. And, you know, you're going into year four of uh, Dave Gettleman coming in saying, you know, we have to fix the offensive line. And now you're going with. You know, Andrew Thomas, Will Hernandez, uh, Nick Gates, Shane Lemieux, and Matt Pert is your offensive line. And uh, unless you're uh, uh, deep into the Giants, you probably knew one of the names I just said. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely going to be uh, an issue inside the Garrett offense. So, I mean, a lot of people were saying, you know, there's no excuses for Daniel Jones with, you know, the skill position talent they put around him. But they were kind of saying that last year also. And we yeah. saw what that was. Like, it's the same thing. We're just repeating I remember so many people saying that last year. Oh, they finally have the skill positions uh, around Daniel Jones. Uh, he's, he has no excuse for not having a year two leap, and we're just doing the same thing. Um, now, a so, lot of people have already drawn the corollary line of the Josh. <laughs> that, yeah, so you knew it was going to happen. I wrote about this or like real early in the offseason that you could already see this like coming. The writing was on the wall that because of you know the Ryan Tannehill changing teams and breaking out, and then you had this thing with Josh Allen where essentially. Daniel Jones's first two years of his career have looked a lot like Josh Allen's first two years. Josh Allen makes the seismic leap, but the difference is one, there's a couple of differences. One, the bills completely threw separators at Josh Allen because Josh Allen is always a see throw, make throw guy uses arm strength. He's, he could be late to a throw because he's got ridiculous arm strength. And they just, instead of getting clashers, they gave him just guys that get open. Cole Beasley, John Brown, they trade for Stephon Diggs last year. Then you have the Dayball versus Jason Garrett factor, which is <laughs> couldn't be, which couldn't be more night and day because the Bills totally, we talked about it repeatedly all through the year that the Bills are this team that just got it last year. They were aggressive on first downs. They used, you know, four wide receivers uh, outside of everyone outside the Cardinals, you know, the most in the league. Uh, they 
they just got it. So you had all these mirror, all these mirroring things that led to Josh Allen's breakout as well, outside of him taking a leap. And I just don't see those complementary components in place for Daniel Jones to make that type of a jump. Uh, and, and in general, I just believe that those types of jumps are more outliers than, than they should be expected to happen. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, yeah, the Giants are an interesting team. Uh, Galladay is a, a guy that I feel like the prototypical free agent that like you don't give a big contract to because these guys don't work out. I mean, a lot of people don't realize like he's basically the same age as Mike Evans and Allen Robinson. He was a late prospect. He's already going to be 28 years old next year. To give him a, a big multi-year contract feels like the type of receiver that gets these that you always regret like two years afterwards. So it's going to be interesting to see. I like Kenny Galladay just fine. I don't want it to be like me downplaying what he can bring to an offense, what he does well. He's just not the like where I would typically allocate like my big wide receiver money to uh and giving a big contract to you so it's be interesting to see how the giants play out i think that their de- their defense looks pretty solid objectively on paper uh they did some things last year in that department so we'll see how it plays out in the nfc east i don't know if they're able to jump you know obviously the cowboys getting dak back washington's made some moves that i really like getting william jackson uh what does fitzpatrick give them uh and then the eagles look like they're going to kind of punt a year maybe we'll see what they do but it looks like the eagles are kind of re- resetting the, the button here a little bit uh but yeah like you said it's it's really kind of all in though for gettleman right now this year well not to step on your toes uh rich but anyone who's thinking i mean i think kenny galladay's fantasy outlook just took a major hit like i just don't i mean what what's his ceiling like 1100 yards and like seven touchdowns like i don't think he's a like I, he's gonna be one of those guys oh free agent splash and He's the new number one and people are going to overdraft him. I feel like, right. I mean, it's. Well, I think uh, a lot changes for him really as, as crazy as things to say, because he's never been a high volume receiver in his career ever. I mean, the most targets he's had in the year is 119, totally feasible. They're going to be less efficient targets, like you said. Uh, but basically his, it, it's going to be hard to see like his, his actual target volume really moving and the types of targets he gets and he still will get with Daniel Jones, even though they're coming from a worse quarterback. I mean, it's kind of the inverse, you know, kind of argument. We could talk about the Rams too. Let that kind of segue in when the Rams made this trade for Matthew Stafford, everyone's like, finally, they got a guy they could throw deep. And it's like, cool. Well, your roster still has Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, right. and Van Jefferson. Like they're not, you're not throwing a dot belongs to the receiver. You know, the depth of target is not necessarily a quarterback stat. Uh, there are some examples of that, you know, kind of existing, but Kenny Galladay is going to get deep targets wherever he goes. And those targets, even if they'll, they'll come with some high variance and inefficiency, are still going to be valuable if he's getting 120 of them from Daniel Jones. Like, you know, it's, there's still going to be opportunity there. Now, it does, you know, obviously it, it lowers his consistency, you know, kind of he's not going to be as consistent as he would be with a better quarterback and stuff like that. But uh, it's still hard to move him out of like the high variant wide receiver two group kind of uh, where he probably was going to go at anyways. I mean, because he's going to get the same types of targets and the volume is going to be pretty similar. Um and so we'll see what it is. I mean, de- definitely the, the offense, though, is a downgrade. But kind of leading into the Rams, the Rams go out and add Deshaun Jackson, which I thought was low-key like a great move. Now, for how many games we see Deshaun Jackson play is to be determined. Uh, he's already going to be 35 years old as well. But just adding that component to that roster was completely necessary. They had to get a player like Deshaun Jackson, whether it be yes. via – for agency or in the draft into that offense because a lot of people were kind of just saying Matthew Stafford with Sean McVay magic but they needed a downfield component and even getting a, a low leverage guy like Deshaun Jackson considering the money they had available to the Rams uh, I thought was a really great like under key signing uh, as opposed to defensively they have lost a lot of stuff defensively uh, they still got Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey but when you factor in Brandon Staley 
the Browns taking two of their secondary players. Uh, they, and then they double down on Leonard Floyd. They give Leonard Floyd the one-year yeah. contract. He has the career year. And then you just go all in on Leonard Floyd. So uh, the Rams have had a unique offseason, uh, to say the least. Well, let's – I mean, that's a good transition to maybe uh, some of the moves we like because I loved what the Browns did. I mean, they still need a real edge rusher. But, uh, yeah, you take two two of the uh, – uh, you know, two of the secondary – players from the best secondary in the NFL last year. You get John Johnson, who was top five in PFF coverage grade at safety and Troy Hill who's an underrated, uh, kind of kind of, you could play both nickel and outside. Uh, you know, he's also top 20 in, in, in PFF coverage grade. I think two guys at very cheap prices. I mean, Troy Hill was barely getting anything, essentially a, a one-year deal um, for like four and a half million, like just nothing. So, um, really like those deals. I mean, they took a, a shot at, uh, Tack McKinley. They, you know, they went after him all last year, didn't get him because of the waiver wire and then went and got him to uh, this year. A little surprising that like, they're so infatuated with him. Um, but you know, that's a low kind of low price, um, upside flyer. They do need one more edge guy and they still have about 14 million of, uh, of cap space left. So, you know, the Carlos Dunlap still out there. They hosted Jadavian Clowney yesterday. So we'll see, maybe they get a veteran guy there, but uh, I like what they did overall. And then Malik Jackson as well, a defensive tackle um, who's uh, top, top 10 at uh, pressure rate last year among defensive uh, tackles. So I like what the Browns did. Um, And another team I like, and I've been, God, I've been banging the drum on them for the last two months. It's a little embarrassing, but because they don't have a quarterback, but the Broncos, I really like what the Broncos did because they didn't they saw they re-signed a bunch of their guys, which is always underrated. Like when people talk about who, who did the best in free agency, you kind of never bring up the teams that that re-sign, you know, their better players. And that's what they did, um, especially with Justin Simmons, who's one of the best uh, safeties in the NFL. Um, he re-signed. They they brought back Kareem Jackson, who had a you know had a low-key um, you know, top 20 uh type of season from a safety last year. They re-signed Shelby Harris who was top 10 in pressure rate in the NFL last year. So, um, you know, to add back with Von Miller, who comes back, and Bradley Chubb from injury. And, you know, they signed Ronald Darby, who I know, Dan, you like last year as a free agent signing. They probably overpaid a little bit for him, but... Um, oh, wait, was, no, no, no. It's I did not like Ronald Darby. Oh, you did not like <laughs> no. Ronald Darby last year? <laughs> no, like, no. So I think bad. that's that's where we're going to uh, the break here. You know, uh-huh. Ronald Darby was okay with Washington last year, but th- this was one of those things. It's kind of like the the Aguilar thing, right? Where he's this guy that comes off the street, signs for about, you know, the $3 million for Washington, has you know a decent year. He was pretty bad uh, in Philadelphia. He's had pretty much a career of inconsistencies. Um, so you're kind of signing him off that one good year. And if there's, I mean, I'll, I'll trust Vic Fangio, I, I guess, but of the, the cornerback signings uh, that went around, Darby was the one I liked the least. Um, I think I might've even given that signing a D um, in the grade, just uh, like three for 30 um, to sign him for about $10 million a year. Uh, even though that's, you know, just the total contract. Uh, I, I feel like that really wasn't necessary, especially with so much of the inconsistencies um, that he's had. But I mean, I, I do agree with Denver. That's a super intriguing team. If, you know, they don't have Drew Locke at quarterback, if they do have Drew Locke at quarterback, you just don't have to pay attention to them uh, well, here, at all. Here's, here's my, my thinking with them. So, 
you know, not only that, but I mean, they probably didn't know Kyle Fuller was going to come available, right? Like if they knew Fuller was going to be available, they just wanted to sign Fuller and probably left Darby out of there. They just wanted that second corner because their, their secondary was a mess last year and they let A.J. Bouye go. But now they've got, I mean, for whatever it's worth, and it could have been a career year, probably was, but they've got three top 30 coverage corners, if you look at the PFS grades, uh, on the roster right now. They've got two top 20 coverage safeties in Kareem Jackson and Justin Simmons. You get you bring back Vaughn Miller and Bradley Chubb and Shelby Harris. I mean, they are loaded on defense. And we know Vic Fangio um, works wonders. I mean, they, they were 13th in DVOA defense last year with essentially the entire starting defense uh, besides Simmons uh, on IR. I mean, they, they, he worked wonders. And they had to face the Chiefs a couple of times and the Raiders and the, and the Chargers. And, you know, they had a really tough schedule and they still pr- produce those numbers. I think this could be a top five defense. And, you know, in terms of what do you do a quarterback? Well, now you've got a really good roster, right? You've got those receivers, you've got uh, Noah Fant, like they are set. So they, they might just say, look, uh, we're just going to unload everybody. Like every draft pick, uh, we're moving up until the top five and let's see if we can get Justin Fields or, or Trey Lance. And, and then what, like, what if you got Justin Fields, like this team to me, they're 60 to one to win the Super Bowl. I, I bet them at 80 to one a couple of weeks ago. I mean, if they got Justin Fields, um, that I mean, they would probably jump up to thirty to one to me, in in my opinion, or they should be. So, I, they just need a C level quarterback. Uh, you know, if they got Teddy Bridgewater, I mean, just somebody who won't screw screw you over and can get the ball to some of those receivers. Um, to me, is is worth you know worth it for them because they can make the playoffs. And then if you get a legit top five pick uh, somehow, I mean, I think they really can make some moves. So I, I'm interested to see what they do. Um, but I, I like their moves again, they overpaid for Darby for sure. But I think in general, they had, um, a really nice off season, um, at least so far. Um, so them and the Browns are probably two of my favorites. I'm sure people like the Redskins, you know, uh, I love the Redskins last off season. And everyone, everyone's betting them to, to, to win the division now. So, uh, maybe I was a year early on them, but, um, but I know are they, they had a lot of moves. Are they sticking with the football team this year? Is it, was it a one year thing? Oh, did I call they... them the Redskins? Oh my God. My yeah, multiple times. That's, we're not, that's definitely not getting edited out. <laughs> uh, uh, well, what do you guys think? I mean, do you guys like what Washington did? I, I'm not a huge Curtis Samuel fan, but I know, I know, I know you guys like them, right? I mean, I, you, you like some of the underlying well, metrics. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah, so, I mean, I think Rich and I are, are on the same page here. I think we kind of wrote similar things in our yeah. write-ups of him. Um, and uh, we uh, also, we did a, you know, a Twitter spaces a couple uh, days ago last week. And I think we were on the same page as we like what, Curtis Samuel brings to the table, but uh, he's going to a place with a coaching staff that we were, we continually hoped that he would get used better. Um, and then he did get used better with a different coaching staff with the, the Joe Brady offense. He had a lot more in the slot, was working a lot more over the middle of the field. Uh, now he's going back to the coaching staff that we were we've been praying for better usage from. So I think that's a little bit of a disconnect there. So for Curtis Samuel to really have, you know, the type of impact that a lot of the Curtis Samuel believers think he could have, um, this, the Washington coaching staff is going to have to steal a lot from what the 2020 Panthers uh, did with them. So they're going to have to look at what Joe Brady did with Curtis Samuel, bring that over to Washington, uh, and hope it's not just what, you know, uh, Samuel did, you know, pre Brady um, in that Carolina offense, which was a lot of inefficient targets. So I think there really has to be a, a good mesh there and they have to, you know, kind of self scout a little bit and, and know how to use him better. See how he was used last year and really implement it there. 
Yeah, I mean, that's what I, I thought it was crazy that everyone was just like, this is such a great fit. He's back with Ron Rivera and, and Scott Turner, who took over for Norv during that 2019 season. Because you look at, uh, you know, Samuel's usage in 2019, it was just a complete outlier into what he was good at coming out of college and what he's been good at in the NFL. Uh, you know, last year he transitions, plays basically, you know, in the slot. Now they played everyone in the slot in Carolina, but low A dot yards after the catch, get involved in the run game type of player, whereas in 2019, they use him strictly as a downfield asset. And now some of that, he was not as bad as a downfield asset as his numbers show because of the quarterback play the Panthers had in 2019. But you don't want Curtis Samuel just to run nine routes and, you know, post. So that's not who he is either. So Scott Turner really has to marry what he did well with Curtis Samuel in 2019 with what Joe Brady did. So, like, it's interesting. Uh, Washington is unique because – they have like no equity put into their offense at all outside of their offensive line. You know, Terry McLaurin, their best player on offense was a third round player. Their best running back, Antonio Gibson was a third round player. Uh, Their other top two targets were JD McKissick and Logan Thomas, who they signed at basically veteran min deals last year. So they had like no money put into this offense whatsoever outside of offensive line. And they finally had to to do something. uh, And they did with Curtis Samuel. Would I have given him that much money? Probably not. He's just not the type of player I would give a lot of money to. But I thought it was odd that the defense of it was like, yeah, he's coming home. Like, this this offense mis, misused him the year before. Like, hey, look, home is home is Ohio <laughs> State buddies with uh, our, our yeah. Terry McLaurin. That's that's home. I love the William Jackson deal, though. Like, absolutely love the William. Yes, Jackson I agree deal. with that. Uh, for them, especially, you know, when you look counterintuitively, like from the Bengals side, they gave Trey Waynes that same exact contract the year before. Uh, you know, you, you shed Darby for William Jackson, uh, which I believe is an upgrade uh, like Dan does. Uh, and you put, I think William Jackson's a really great cornerback and especially playing on that behind that defensive line, he's going to shine. And that's a division too, where, uh, you know, you face the Cowboys, got good receivers and the NFC period, like you've got to defend good wide receivers in the NFC. Uh, so, I mean, I, I like that a lot, uh, that signing for them as well. They're, I'm, the question I have with Washington is like we brought up Denver and to a lesser extent Cleveland is like we've got a – and New England is we've got these rosters that look great outside of one thing, and it's the most important thing. And I think the Browns are in a little different boat because I think Baker Mayfield is absolutely on a career trajectory and from a you know just an overall objective quarterback stance better than Ryan Fitzpatrick, Cam Newton, and Drew Locke, uh, way better. Uh, so it puts the – and the Browns were already a playoff team last year and won a playoff game. Uh, so they're already a kind of a step ahead. But I look at teams like Washington, New England, and Denver, and I look at these rosters – and I just, where's the out? Denver has the best out, you know, at pick nine. Can they use that to trade up uh, and use that for some leverage? But I look at a team like Washington now, winning that division, backdooring that division was kind of almost, it almost kind of hurt them in a way of being able to kind of get out of this. And you forced to kick the can on a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick, who I listen to, we all like Ryan Fitzpatrick. We root for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, he's kind of, you know, uh, everyone's kind of, you know, spirit animal in the NFL, uh, so to speak. But are they a Super Bowl contender with Ryan Fitzpatrick? Is Ryan Fitzpatrick going to win you four playoff games? Uh, and the, and he's not bad enough to get you out of a tank spot. We, we saw it already in Miami. Uh, so, I mean, how does Washington kind of get out of this seven to kind of 10 win range? Where do they, how do they make this, you know, happen for them? Yeah, the Fitzpatrick thing is, 
it's interesting because you, I mean, you look at Washington last year and I think they would have run away with that division with just average quarterback play. Uh, but I don't think we can be basing how we feel about these teams on the 2020 NFC East uh, well, because that's it, terrible. And I think kind of the Giants have done that also. They kind of looked at it like, oh, we were in it with what we had. But it's like, yeah, but everyone else was terrible and got better. Like you have Dak coming back. You're going to have significant quarterback play now from Washington, whether it's, you know, like you said, enough to you know, bring them what they need in the playoffs or not, just during the regular season, it's going to be better uh, than what the, the, the trio of, um, you know, Dwayne Haskins, the Kyle Allen and Alex Smith uh, was giving it just, you know, you, you just couldn't sustain offense with any of those quarterbacks. Patrick at least is going to, you know, bring up those, those high points. So uh, you don't want to base it on that, but the thing I am a little hesitant on with Fitzpatrick is so much of his play came because he did really good under pressure um, last year. And that's just not something that we, see translate uh, from year to year. Fitzpatrick was uh, the only quarterback with positive uh, EPA um, uh, under pressure uh, last year among quarterbacks with at least, you know, 50 uh, attempts under pressure. And that's according to Sports Info Solutions. He had a 52% positive play rate under pressure. That's insane. That's not going to happen uh, again. So, and from a clean pocket, he was more, he was closer to an average quarterback and kind of closer to what we would expect kind of a, a Ryan Fitzpatrick to be. So um, if you're kind of looking at some of his Miami production and what he did better than Tua, I think they were similar from a clean pocket and the the crazy pressure splits were really what made Fitzpatrick Patrick look much better um, in that offense. Uh, so that's kind of uh, my concern there. I think they'll be able to spread it out uh, a little bit more. So it, it's interesting. But like you said, they're just kind of in this this holding pattern where for Washington, I'm not sure where where the next thing is. Like for the Patriots, to be fair, said, like that's just kind of the position they're in. Like yeah, I, yeah, get, they, I get why they signed him. Like I you're do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when we we saw there there wasn't as much quarterback movement as we really thought there could have potentially been uh, this offseason. I mean, the Matt Stafford thing was was huge. Then Carson Wentz got traded, and then it just kind of, you know, it it dried up. Um, you know, Jared Goff could have potentially, you know, moved somewhere else if the trade with Matt Stafford and Jared Goff wasn't, you know, a one-for-one one, trade, which um, – kind of stopped quarterback movement going like around uh, in a carousel really because it was just a one-for-one switch and then there was the the Wentz deal and that wouldn't I mean obviously that wouldn't have worked with a trade in the division but also like that wouldn't have made sense uh, for them and it's just it's much less quarterback movement um, than we've seen you know the Sam Darnold thing Sam Darnold's just not a good quarterback I don't think that makes sense for Washington either so uh, with so few options I mean I like Ryan Fitashi more than if they had paid Andy Dalton the 10 million dollars which is you know something the the Bears had to do yeah that's the saddest tweet probably in the history of uh, you know, Twitter. Uh, yeah, I, it's not even the saddest QB one tweet. The Bills uh, a couple years ago <laughs> tweeted out a Nathan Peterman oh, uh, QB one. Right. <laughs> so, in the history of QB one tweets, it's not even uh, the the saddest. Um, so, I think the the way we saw potentially this this quarterback. Um, the free agent class and even, you know, trade class go. Um, I think we expected a little more, but the, I, they, I think they're doing the best with what they can. Uh, maybe they, they trade up and, and we'll see there, but yeah, you kind of see they're, they're just in this spot where they need to make the most of, of what they have right now. You know, you have uh, Terry McLaurin, he's going to be due for an, an extension soon. You just gave all that money to, to Curtis Samuel. So you have to get something out of, and you have to get something out of that defense too. Um, all these young guys, we know defense from 
year to year is already yeah. um, you know um, unstable. We we can't predict that a defense is going to stay great uh, from year to year, especially one that's you know so good. They were already you know second. Um, in defensive DVOA uh, last year, I believe. I think one thing with the William Jackson signings, they were 27th against number one wide receivers. Um, so as good as they were against the pass, they could not hold down number one wide receivers. And I think William Jackson gives them that ability. So so at least you're, you're propping up that defense a little bit, kind of you know getting a bit of a, an upgrade to hopefully sustain that defense. So uh, yeah, when, when you are built on a defense like that, I think they don't really have time right now, at least to um, be trying to filter in a, a rookie kind of like we saw with the Dwayne Haskins uh, thing. And there were so many other things going on with, with what Haskins was, was bringing off the field uh, to with it, how he was, you know, performing in meetings and, and things. Uh, but you kind of saw they, they had this defense that they realized they needed to just kind of take advantage of while they could. Uh, so I think that's kind of what Fitzpatrick does. And, and they're another team that they're, they're going to figure out that other the quarterback of the future really at once they have to. And I think they just kind of, you know, push that decision down the line a little bit. Um, yeah, I think in, in TA hit on the Browns, I love what the Browns did. Um, you know, John Johnson, I think is great. Uh, this was a team that was, you know, 10th in the rate that they played base defense last year. And they, they didn't have the linebackers to be playing base defense, but the problem is they were so injured at safety. They had, you know, Andrew Sandejo starting a safety. And if you're doing that in 2020, something <laughs> seriously uh, went wrong. Um, you know, Greedy Williams was injured uh, for most of the year at corner. So uh, I think they, they're, they're building this defense around because I think they, they know they have this offense figured out. It clicked in the second half of last year. Stefanski realized, you know, oh, what was going on. The Baker um, really, I think, started to click in that offense and processing what he needed to do. So I think they could keep most of that offense uh, going forward. And they're going to get Odell Beckham back, and that's huge. They re-signed Richard Higgins, so when they go to 11 personnel, they have a good third wide receiver there. Uh, but you have, you know, John Johnson, Troy Hill, uh, you have – uh, Ronnie Harrison, who uh, they signed, they have uh, Grant Delpit. Um, you have and, and Johnson Ward. now. You can you can do you know, <laughs> a, a three safety look. I, I, I tweeted this. I think you can. You know the Browns could go seven defensive backs and their defensive line and be fine. And I think we might see that a little bit. We're going to see much more dime uh, from them this year. They did not run a lot of dime last year because they just didn't have. Um, they didn't have the the players uh, to do that. Only three percent dime uh, last year, so that was one of the lowest rates in the league. I think they're going to use a lot more defensive backs uh, this year. That's where Joe Woods really is able to you know scheme up some stuff. And you know, with Miles Garrett on the defensive line, I think the way they've added some depth there. You know, I like Tack McKinley. Uh, you know, he had that weird tenure in, in Atlanta where they just like never really got along. But when he's on the field, he can do pretty well. So if he's, you know, the second edge rusher, that's good. If he's the third edge rusher, I think that's going to be great. You have all, like TA kind of mentioned, you have all of these, um, you know, veteran edge rushers who could come in and, and maybe now want to be on one-year deals. You have the, the Clownies, the Dunlaps, uh, the Melvin Ingrams. I think that could, you know, one of those guys could be great. You have this uh, rotational interior defensive line uh, with the, you know, um, with uh, uh, Sheldon Richardson and, uh, and now Malik Jackson coming in. So you, you have a lot of cool pieces that I think can potentially come together. And they've, they were one of my favorite teams of what they did this offseason. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I mean, you look at that, they already won a playoff game too, and they're in a way better situation quarterback wise than a lot of these teams that we talked about, like that, can they make it over the hump? 
Uh, I know that we're, you know, TA left. I did want to get at least your thoughts on it because you were high on them last year too. And he was extremely high on them last year is uh, the, the Colts, the Colts uh, situation. Um, because this is a team that had a lot of things go their way last year. They faced one of the easiest schedules in the NFL. Uh, you know, they kind of, you know, lived off of that. They almost pulled, did pull out a playoff game on the road in Buffalo, but you know, you lose Phillip Rivers. So like, you know, question one, can Carson Wentz be 2020 Philip Rivers, which I think is a question. And then you also don't really upgrade on like any skill players. They kind of roll back. You know, they bring back Xavier Rhodes on another one-year deal. I think it was one-year deal. Uh, but then, you know, T.Y. Hilton, you, they roll him back on a one-year. Uh, they, you know, obviously Anthony Costanzo retires. Um, you know, that, that situation is still up in the air. But the Colts are kind of in this, the position where I guess, you know, the Houston's not going to really be a threat in the division. And Tennessee looks like they've lost a lot. Maybe they just feel content, you know, that they can win this division kind of kicking the can. But I think that this team did not take a step forward to kind of go beyond that, to be an actual AFC title contender like they could have been. Yeah, I think we're, we're definitely on the same page. I was just thinking about that at, right after the T.Y. Hilton resigning was announced. You know, it's like one year, eight million, which it's fine for T.Y. Hilton if you want to do that. But, you know, I just I'm not sure where you can look at this roster and objectively say they're better than they were in, in 2020. Um, I, I just don't see that along the offensive line. They lost Anthony Costanzo. So you're going to have to fill in a, a left tackle. Um, you know, there's been talk about moving uh, Quentin Nelson there, which I don't necessarily uh, agree with. But if you do that, you're also getting significantly worse at left guard. Um, so I, there's a lot of questions uh, on you know, the offensive line, uh, the defense was, you know, so much with turnovers uh, last year. And that's really where they got a lot of that, especially early in the season. Uh, so you're trying to bank on that uh, again. And all you're doing is bringing back the pieces that you've had. I mean, you're going to get another year of experience from like Rocky Sin and uh, a couple of other pieces. I mean, I do like some of those guys uh, in the secondary, but yeah, you just look at what's going on. I mean, you Justin Houston uh, is a free agent. He's one of those other veteran uh, pass rushers that's still on the market. Uh, but if he's not re-signed, you're, you also lost uh, Danico Autry. So there's a, a lot of there's pieces that are gone and they didn't really build anything to it. And then it, it all comes down to, you know, Carson Wentz. And if, even if you think you were getting like the best version of Wentz, which I think we've probably decided is like, like the 2018 version of Wentz. Cause we know the 2017 just it isn't happening. There was so much that went on in that 2017 season. That is just, uh, it was a lot of you know luck involved there. So if you get, you know, 2018 uh, Carson Wentz, that's still not as good as 2020 Philip Rivers. So like the, your best case scenario with, with Wentz is still not as good of the quarterback play as you got last year. Um, so uh, it's just, they, they you know, the, the Chris Ballard MO has really been patient and they've had cap space for years and haven't really been aggressive, but kind of, you know, like we said with the Patriots, they didn't have to be the Patriots, but this year cap space was, was a market inefficiency. This could have been the year where he went out and, and got, you know, a, a guy or two, maybe you, uh, you know, try to go hard on, you know, uh, Trent Williams, even if, you know, he apparently he wanted to stay um, in San Francisco and he was going to, they, he was going to let them match any deal that they got. And I think that's what happened uh, when he got an offer from Kansas City. But it, it, it doesn't even seem like they were in the bidding for some of these guys and, and reaching out and, and getting feelers on some of these bigger uh, free agents. So, uh, yeah, I just, but like you said, that AFC South is 
a complete mess. So they're they're probably still the best team in the division just by default. But when you have to, you know, go against the Buffaloes, even if you go against the, the Kansas Cities, um, it's just yeah. I, I don't think Indianapolis is going to stack up. And I think they've been a very smart organization. I think they've played this really well. But I think this could have been an offseason where, you know, they, they went and, you know, got a, a little better. And it just kind of seems like they didn't. Uh, they were okay to kind of, you know, sit on their hand. And, uh, and and see what else was going around. And I'm just, I'm not sure that becomes to a much better team uh, or a better team at all in 2021. Yeah, yeah. I hate that that's like my criteria for a lot of these moves, uh, you know, because only one team is going to win the Super Bowl. But I look at it from, you know, perspective of, you know, hey, like I, I, what teams are in a position to win the Super Bowl? And if you're not in a position to win the Super Bowl, how do you continuously get better? And uh, a couple of these teams are kind of stuck in that almost purgatory in a way. And the Colts kind of feel like they're also in this kind of mold. Like it's great. Getting to the playoffs is great. You know, winning 10 games is great. Uh, But if you're not really an actual contender to represent your conference in the Super Bowl or go to the title game, uh, it's, you know, what are we really doing here? And I kind of feel like they, they did not put themselves in a position uh, based on, you know, what's good. And they had so much stuff go right last year. Well, you can't just count on all that yep. stuff happening again. Yeah. You know, you know, health wise, schedule wise, performance wise, uh, definitely a team I thought definitely needed to upgrade, you know, pass rush, wide receiver, offensive tackle, uh, just by default of losing, uh, you know, Costanzo. But yeah, it's gonna be interesting to, and then you talk about the Wentz unknown. So yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, but yeah, uh, a lot, a lot has, a lot has happened. Definitely the wide receivers in general, I think were the biggest surprise. Just the teams were really resilient this year of not giving wide receivers a bunch of money. Like we could have, cause everyone talked about coming into this, you know, this is the best free agent wide receiver class we've had. And we had a couple tags going on Godwin and, and, and Allen Robinson. Uh, they weren't available, but typically you would see teams maybe the throw a little bit more extra at a Juju Smith-Schuster, a guy that's only going to be 25 years old in November. Uh, we saw that his contract probably went to Corey Davis. That's kind of like the, the kind of the area where he went, you know, but outside of Galladay getting big money, none of these guys really cashed in. Yeah. And it's, it's super interesting because yeah, you just kind of see the, the top of the market was depressed because of those the franchise tags. And then you just started to have some of these one-year deals of guys that had some question marks. Like Will Fuller is a guy that probably would have gotten a big deal, you know, in previous mm. off seasons, but with his you know injury history, he has still the one game left on his uh, suspension from the back half of the 2020 season. You know, he's a guy that's going to take a one-year deal to go down in Miami, probably be, you know, the number one or at least one B target um in that offense um so you know he's taken a one-year deal so we saw a, a couple of guys that probably would have been able to get some more money in previous off seasons uh just take a step back and say okay let's sign a one-year deal let's see what the market looks like next year and we're going to test it and then also you know the the draft class the incoming draft class i think is playing a, a big part in this because there's a uh, guys who are, are really good. Um, the more I look at this draft class, the more guys I start liking uh, in this draft class. And you can see you're going to be in, you know, the second and third round and still getting, you know, good guys that you can plug in. I think we're, we're starting to get 
into offenses where you can, you know, take a, a certain skill set and know exactly what role you can plug uh, these types of guys into and be productive in uh, in rookie years and rookie contracts, especially. So I think we're seeing the, the learning curve here of wide receiver. It used to be, you know, you weren't always taken off um, in year one of a, a rookie wide receiver. But I think we've started to see with so much passing that, you know, the seven on seven, these guys are coming up now. Uh, they're passing the ball more and they're doing that from a young age. So I think we've seen our rookie wide receivers really take steps that we hadn't seen in the past couple of years. And I think teams are starting to be a lot more comfortable uh, with that. And they're going to go that route in the draft over, you know, paying, uh, you know, well, even a Will Fuller, you know, the $40 million over three years, which is probably like what he would have gotten you know, two seasons ago uh, when he had, had been a, uh, a free agent. So I, yeah, I, mean, I love that. I, I love everything the Dolphins have done in this kind of rebuild. We'll see if it pays off, you know, if, if Tua makes a stride. I think we're on the same page, though, of like last year probably wasn't an accurate representation, especially with the way Herbert played uh, in, year one, in year one. I mean, obviously, if you go retro and you take back that, that draft pick, you know, you're going to take Herbert over Tua based on what we saw for a year. We didn't have that at our disposal last year, but Tua's top three targets were Mike Gusecki, Lynn Bowden, and, you know, a a hobbled Devontae Parker. And then Jakeem Grant was his fourth highest target. Um, Even if you say he was propped up by the Alabama machine, you know, we've seen him have success in that with those type of downfield players. So giving him a guy like Will Fuller gives us more of a accurate representation to kind of judge him. And then also you talk about a team that has what they've got, four top 50 picks this year signing a guy like will fuller leaves you kind of carte blanche like you don't ha- you're not forced to go wide receiver at three you can maybe wait to 18 36 or 50 to go wide receiver in this you know wide receiver rich draft class you can go tackle they've kind of kind of they, they do kind of have carte blanche to kind of do what they want to do eventually it will all come back down to like we talked about you know quarterback play do you have the the right quarterback in place but i do love the situation the dolphins are in from an organizational stance and i absolutely love them adding Will Fuller for that kind of pennies on the dollar of what Will Fuller's provided on a per game basis while he's been on the field in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so important. I think I've wrote this in the, you know, Will Fuller, uh, grade that I put up on sharp football analysis is, you know, it's just so important for, I think, to have these separators for mm-hmm. young quarterbacks. I think it's got to be so hard uh, for a rookie quarterback to have someone like Devontae Parker uh, be your number one. Who never threw into tight windows in college. Like, right. He didn't he have to. Did, right. Um, <laughs> And it's just, you know, not only is it the tight windows where it's going to be, you know, really close coverage, it's, um, you know, trusting uh, a guy like that to, to come down. So it, it, it takes it a lot. And, you know, I've, I've written about this a lot. I've written about the tight windows and how the, the NFL is basically starting to eliminate them uh, in offense. The, the rate of tight window throws, uh, you know, per next-gen stats has, you know, been going down every year. And so has ADOT. But, you know, the best offenses are still figuring out how to push the ball to downfield to open receivers. And I think that's something, you know, that's an element Will Fuller uh, can bring to that Miami offense. It's just something they didn't have last year. There was no one who could run downfield open last year on that team. Um, so I think that was a significant, you know, hindrance to when Tua came in. You know, you have Ryan Fitzpatrick just going to be like, yeah, I don't care. I'm going to throw it to a, you know, a, a covered guy. Uh, you're just, you're not going to see a, a rookie do that. But, you know, Tua still had one of the highest rates of throws into tight coverage um, because he kind of had to. So I think allowing that to spread out a little bit, create some more openings, um, have just uh, be able to process more of 
of what is going to be open. Have some trust that things are going to be open. Uh, I think it is definitely going to help um, that offense. So I think that Will Fuller pick is big. Like you said, it, it does open up a lot of things they can do. They don't have to, you know, draft the Devonta Smith or Jalen Waddle or Jamar Chase or whoever at three, which was, you know, mocked so often uh, to them. So it, it gives them options. And even um, if you do, they don't have to be Will Fuller year one because Will Fuller's there for a year. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but also, like, yeah, if, if you want to do that and you're throwing uh, 11 personnel, that's uh, Devontae Parker, Jamar Chase, and Will Fuller, like, okay, like, you're, you're setting your quarterback up to succeed there also, so, um, yeah, like, there, there's so many options there, and I think I, I really like, um, you know, what, what Miami uh, has done. Yeah, absolutely. I'm on board. Well, I'm curious to see where it goes. And that's part of my like anti-Patriots thing uh, is just because I think that Miami's on a clear upward trajectory and they're just more competition in the division for the Patriots. To, not only do they have to leapfrog the Bills, which I don't think any of us would put them there, but they've also got Miami coming. Yeah, you know, Miami's on the way. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm interested to see where the Dolphins take this, you know, because I think that they went through the process the right way. Let's, let's see what kind of plays out here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that they've been a, they've been a good patient. I think, I think we saw this off season. I think we can say the Colts were, were a bad patient. Um, and these are two teams that have been smart and relatively patient as they've, you know, kind of torn down and rebuilt, um, for, for what they've done. I think you can kind of see the, the areas where I think Miami is just, they, especially this off season, they, they picked their spots a little better. They didn't do a lot, but what they did, um, I think that made a lot of sense. And that Will Fuller is that, that was one of my favorite moves uh, of the, the off season. So, um, you know, we're going to see a couple more, you know, one-year deals really. I think that's, you know, the part of free agency uh, we're in right now. We're going to see a couple one-year deals, you know, trickle in uh, a lot of guys who are probably going to be veterans and hoping to either tack onto good teams or just resetting their market for, for next off season. Though I'm not sure the cap next off season is going to be super big because of, you know, they kind of took, a, a three-year hit on this cap to spread it out so it wasn't all um you know in this offseason so it's not going to explode um in 2022 i think it's going to be more like 2024 where the huge yeah, explosion is so uh it's going to be interesting to see these guys on one-year deals who are going to you know trying to reset their market for next year um so and, but now I, I think it's going on going on to the draft. And I think that's probably what we're going to be uh, talking about next. Uh, as we got a whole bunch of these pro days, we have a lot of, you know, real interesting uh, guys that we're going to be uh, talking about. So I think that's probably where we're heading next. It's definitely where the the written content on the site is heading next. I mean, I sat and graded just about every free agent move uh, that there was. I am, I am, I'm officially done with free agency. I don't, I don't think I'm writing up any more deals. Um, and uh, Rich has been doing, uh, you know, the fantasy fallout. So you can see uh, all of his work uh, there and, you know, yeah, that's what we're doing. We're pivoting to the draft now. It's been, uh, it's been an interesting off season uh, right now, full steam ahead uh, to the draft. So uh, we would like to uh, thank you guys for uh, joining us. You can find Rich on Twitter at Lord Reeves. You can find, uh, TA on Twitter at Cleave TA. You can find me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. You can find all of our work at sharpfootballanalysis.com. Thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you again soon.